0: We've been this summer looking through Psalms, we've been talking about prayer. Uh, Next week we're going to talk about praying the hours, and I think you're going to really enjoy what we've got coming for you. But today I want to talk about the Psalms and, uh, and evil. Because if you read the Psalms regularly, one of the things that you figure out early on is that you can't get away from the subject of evil in the Psalms. It's all over the place, Um, which is one of the things that makes Psalms so honest. They're so raw in places, so honest, so out there with what's going on in their lives. and I don't think we can leave this series this summer without talking about this. I, I think it's just too much there and too much a part of, of uh, the content of the psalms. Ra, R-A, in, if you were to put it in English, ra, is the word that's translated oppression, evil, adversity. It's the noun. Uh Commonly translated bad, evil, displeasing, ethically evil, distressing, things like that. It occurs 64 times in 45 psalms. I'd call that preoccupation, wouldn't you? 64 times in 45 psalms, this word Ra is used. Um, 30% of the 150 psalms in our book of psalms have something to do with evil and address Ra explicitly. Uh, There are five occasions in Psalm 34 alone. Psalms 34 is one of the texts that was considered for this sermon today. Uh, Five occasions in that. And whenever evil is discussed, uh, we, we come to terms with the fact that evil produces Uh, an evil disposition, an attitude or an inclination to wicked behavior. And people that are engaged in that are called wicked or ungodly. You heard that in some of the language of the psalm. Bev read to you this morning. Rasha is the verb form of that. It means to act wickedly, to be guilty, to be accountably evil. Uh, it occurs 80 times, the verb, in 42 Psalms. Preoccupation, I'd say, wouldn't you? Um, together, Ra and Ra Shah appear in 139 distinct verses throughout the Psalms. 139. And so I look at all that and I think, boy. We really need to be paying attention to this. What's the Psalms trying to, to say to us? Um, the psalmists say things like, Why, O oh Lord, do you stand afar off? You ever felt that way? Or you just felt like God was disconnected from you? Why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourselves in time yourself in time of trouble? Uh, Or how long? Will you forget me forever? You can almost see the psalmist doing like this as he talks to God. Where are you in my life? Why haven't you answered my prayer? You ever ask God that? I have. I'm so tired of waiting. Uh, Even Job. Job is... Course, the book before Psalms, but you see the same sort of thing in Job. Job says, My soul is poured out within me, days of affliction have taken hold of me. I cry to you, and you do not answer me, he says. My inward parts are in turmoil and are never still. We don't know if Job was a, a, an actual character. Uh, A lot of us assume that he was. However, there there are several people that think Job is more like a parable or a story, which I think is kind of interesting because what it really says is that uh, people of that age, of that time, this is probably the earliest book we have from the Bible is Job in terms of when it was written, are struggling with the whole question of evil. And, and what part does it play in our life? And how do I deal with evil in my life? Why do you want to pursue this subject, you may be saying? You know, Isn't there enough on the newspaper? Why do I have to look at it again? I'd like to give you some reasons. The first reason is that it shows us that we're not alone in this. I get quite a bit of comfort from that, from knowing that those those days when I, I go to bed going, where on earth are you, that I have it on good evidence that the biblical characters were also asking the same question. Two, suffering and evil make us aware that this life is an imperfect life, that this is not good and it makes us ask the question, isn't there something better? The answer is yes, yes there is. Uh, Elena and I were talking about hospice care, she works for Heinz Hospice and and uh, you know I, I think whenever you you deal with that, whenever you deal with people who are in that stage of life, you know the ones who know there's something better and you can see it in their face, you can see it in their smile, even in the midst of pain. Number three, suffering and evil make us aware that the claims of a health and wealth gospel are bogus. We talk about that a lot at LifeSpring, but I, it's, you know, the stuff that you get on Sunday morning television, I'm being too general here, but it's bogus. You know, the, the idea that, that if you pay enough money or pray enough prayers that everything's going to go swimmingly from that point on. Psalms denies that. Psalms denies it. Number four. Suffering in the Psalms connect us to God's compassion. And I think one of the marvelous things about the Psalms is that God says, that's all right, bring it on. I'm big enough to take that. Come on, talk to me. Tell me what's going on in your life. There was a Broadway play back in the, I don't know, maybe the 60s. And the name of the play was, Your Arms Too Short to Box with God. And it was about Job. But God says, come on, jump in the ring with me. You won't win, but I'll sure help you through it. I'll be there with you. I'll walk with you through whatever it is that you're struggling with. Evil, for the purpose of this sermon, is uh, the fallen existence of humanity. We all know that. We struggle with it in ourselves. We know how fallen and broken this world is. It is fallen and broken. Uh, the first expression of this was uh, in Adam's, Adam and Eve's decision, decision to disobey God. They said, we want autonomy. We want to be free from your influence. We want to do it on our own. We've all had that experience. We had it growing up. You know, we had that those moments in our lives when we say, Eh, old man, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know. I know better. Or, you know, as a a young adult or a young buck, you know, full of vim vigor and vitality, and I know better. And these are just age-related examples of what Adam and Eve were doing as well. God doesn't know what he's talking about. Their decision to eat the fruit opened the door to all the evils that we experience today. Everything we know today that we wish we didn't know, we know because of Adam and Eve. Don't you wish you could unknow some stuff? I do. I wished I didn't know that. Sometimes it's about another person and something that they've done that's just so egregious and we just wish we didn't know that. Sometimes it's stuff that we've done. We go, boy, I wished I didn't know that. So this decision opened up the door and without God in the picture, those things that came howling out of Pandora's box, that came howling out because Adam and Eve ate the fruit, without God, are unfettered, uncontrolled. I want to show you a little video clip uh, from a man named Christensen that I think will impress you and will illustrate what I'm talking about. Evil is like a shingles virus. Uh, Bev and I got shingles vaccine recently because uh, I get this chilling feeling when I hear about people talking about the shingles virus and how it's broken out on them in their eyeball or in, on their back or on their side or, you know, just all over. You never know where it's going to pop up. And in, in a way, that's really kind of like evil. Evil is systemic to our world. It's everywhere. The only antidote as he said to evil's work in our lives is God. It's the only way it works. You take away that control, that influence, that good thing in our lives and mankind runs rampant. Righteous in the Psalms derive that righteousness from the context of a relationship with God and his salvation. Psalms 37 says, Do not fret because of the wicked. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's the antidote. Trust in the Lord and do good. Uh, The psalmist dealing with evil was anchored in who they believed God to be. And so God, according to the psalmist, is steadfast in his love. He he just doesn't give up. He never stops. He's righteous. And so you don't ever have to worry about God's motives. You don't have to worry about a dark side, about malice or anything like that. God is just righteous. And what he does is going to be good. It's going to be right. God is abundant in his delights. He's abundant in his delights. Um, I know some people that just hate the world. There's, there's no joy in their life. They hate where they live. They hate their neighborhood. They hate the institutions of their community. And then on the other side of that, I know people that just love the same place. And I think in a lot of those cases it's a it's a difference in perspective, in faith perspective. Why do you love it? I love it because of the people I know. I love it because of the goods being done in the community. I love it because of this and that and the other. And God trains us to think in that way. God is like a shepherd, the psalmist says. You know, a shepherd that cares about us and He anoints my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, says David in Psalm 23. And God is majestic. He set his glory in the heavens, the psalmists tell us. The Psalms speak indirectly about free will and uh, how one cannot make choices which give way to evil. I can't give a foothold to evil in my life. I can't make those kinds of choices. So the psalmist says, trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Listen. Listen. Have your ears open. Refrain from anger. In other words, don't give in to the moment. Don't allow whatever bad thing is happening in your life to take over and cause you to lose all control of your life psalmist says, remember that the meek are going to inherit the earth. Jesus said that too. It's not the stormy, angry person. It's the meek person. Meek doesn't mean weak, incidentally. Meek means you've taken control of your passions. uh, Wait for the Lord, Psalms 37 says, Mark the blameless, for there is posterity in the peaceable. There's a future in people who who are at peace. Figure out who those people are and hang around them, the psalmist is saying. If the righteous derive their relationship from God, then evil does the opposite. So the psalmist says, The evil have no fear of God. They flatter themselves, they lie and plot mischief, they do not reject mischief, and they borrow but do not pay back. Those are some characteristics of the evil in Psalms. Uh, it's kind of a nice job description, isn't it? The people you don't want to hang around. You know. So if you look at a, at a moment for a moment at, uh, at what's going on around you, you may think that the evil prosper. You ever have that temptation to think that? You no, it's the guy that has the most, that has the best life. Bernie Madoff wouldn't say that to you. He's in prison because of what he did, because of the evil things that he did. Uh, there's other sorts of things that happen in people's lives that make their lives miserable. They can't get up in the morning and look in the mirror without having this evil image looking back at them, and they know it. So the psalmist says the wicked will be cut off. Their day is coming. They kill the righteous, but their own sword will pierce their own heart. They appear like a cedar one day. A cedar is a... uh, a metaphor for something big and stately and strong like a redwood. And there disappeared the next. Because that's the nature of evil. The thing that I would say about Psalms is it doesn't sugarcoat this. You know, you read the Psalms and you go, Wow, I've never read anything this this honest before. It it just doesn't. Sugarcoated. So there's no attempt to make things look easier than they are. Uh, It admits that in this world are evil and suffering and sin. But the psalmist describes a life that rides out the storm, that waits on God, that realizes there's ultimately more to life than the awfulness that is so abundant around us. There's more to it. So even though we've been talking about a bad thing, this is really a good sermon because it says, hang on, just hang on, because God has something in store for those people that wait on him and listen to him and give their lives to him. If I told you that God is going to give those who love him everything that they want in this life, you would immediately start thinking about all the people you know that don't have that, that love God. How many people in Middle Eastern company, countries are losing their life because of their faith? What about African brethren that we, we don't know but we know of they lived miserable, impoverished lives, but love God greatly. The Israelites did like that. They had that period in their life. Job did. Paul prayed for his thorn in the flesh to be removed. The psalmist says, wait for the Lord. And, they, and God answered Paul and said, my grace is sufficient. I'm all you need just hang on don't try to be a control freak wait on me and I'll give you what is right indeed let's pray dear father may we be patient people people who do not get entangled by life with its difficulties may we take the long view May we remember to not get distracted by fake prosperity or false success, knowing that rich or poor, we have everything we need from you. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.